feel like the people who focus, if you really look around, the people who focus on the external and like have something else that they absolutely love, if it's if it's biking, hiking, climbing, whatever, or if it's, you know, a side hustle or business, those are the people who are usually vibrating higher and a bit happier at work because it doesn't matter as much, you know. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Amazon's Black Stories, where we highlight the stories of Black designers, researchers, and creative minds from all around the world. I'm your host, Justin James Lopez, and today I'm joined by Jessica Fernandez, where we talk about communication design, rethinking the idea of mentorship and how it impacts our growth, and finding time for your personal passions. Let's hear our story. Well, Jessica, thanks again for joining us on this episode of Amazon's Black Stories. I wanted to to just start with just learning more about who you are and what you do right now. So very happy to be here. I'm excited for this podcast. My name is Jessica Fernandez. I head up communications, both internal communications and communications for technology. Uh, so I have a little bit of a dual role, owning both internal um, engagement for employees across Amazon Studios and also creating stories and storytelling for our technology teams. So that's really telling the story for the innovation that is happening behind the scenes at Amazon Studios. You mentioned communication strategies, but then also the storytelling component, which I think kind of blend in certain ways, but also they could be mutually exclusive. So when it comes to the storytelling component, how are you creating those stories? What are you creating them for? And who's just the audience almost? I feel like I I have... This strong kind of passion and need to want to convey Amazon Studios to the rest of the world. I was really excited to join Amazon Studios in 2019 because I was spent a really long time in my career at Warner Brothers and I was there for about 10 years. And I got the call that like, hey, you know, we're building this new studio, you know, from the ground up. And that part was super exciting to me. Most Hollywood studios have been around for 100 plus years. And so with this new opportunity also became like, you know, this kind of journalistic approach of, you know, hey, how is this all done? So I do that on behalf of our technology teams. One of the really big projects that have that has recently been released publicly is our virtual production stage. We have one of the largest virtual production sound stages in the world. And that story was super exciting to me. We did a, a whole launch ceremony and I've been helping with kind of the PR campaign around stage 15, you know, just getting the word out getting other studios excited, getting production companies in there and booked. The first movie to be recorded on this soundstage was Candy Cane Lane. So that just recently wrapped. Yeah. So it's just been a very exciting journey. Yeah. When it comes to the actual messaging, so it sounds like you're really kind of, you're doing a lot, you're wearing a lot of hats, right? Even in this very specific space. Yeah. How do you know what the audience wants when it comes to these different, I'm, I'm assuming you're using like user research and, and all of that, but when it comes to the different campaigns that you're running, how do you know what's a good campaign? You know, luckily for me, a lot of the things that I work on are internal campaigns. So it's, you know, really for employees, which I feel is the most important audience. I feel like you have to have good buy-in and excitement and energy internally in order for it to spread externally. So 
I feel like the more that I'm able to highlight teams, you know, folks that are doing really amazing things that are working on really cool projects that are really putting their best foot forward, that are aligning with, you know, Amazon leadership principles, the more that I'm able to kind of cover some of that content, I feel like it really resonates with employees because that that's the world that they live in. And I've really been wanting to, you know, just get closer to that as far as engagement. And so my most recent remit is to kind of own culture across the studio and understand, you know, where employees are, what stories are important to them and uh, how to get that information out. Yeah. When it comes to moving into this space, was this something that you were just, you know, you woke up as a, a young girl and said, you know what I really want to do is, is, is this. So like, <laughs> yeah. no, I joke, but like, how did, how did we get here? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And what's so funny is like how I got here was through a very boring topic that no one was interested in at the time. So what propelled me to get into more of like the media entertainment and studio space was information security. So I, I started in, I don't know, 2010, 2009, maybe before then, I can't even remember the dates escape me. But the first topic was information security. And so I became really good at information security, communications, awareness and training. And so what that is, is, you know, you have your annual training, you have, you know, your cybersecurity awareness month. And at the time when it all started, it was a topic that was really considered to be dry and mundane and no one was really interested. And then we had the Sony breach. Mm. And Everything shifted, you know, everything was on fire at that point. It's like, you know, we have to have all these budgets and we have to get people aware and we have to, you know, teach them how not to click on the wrong things and how to do the right things with our data. And so that really propelled me, just my personal career track, because I was already kind of in that mode of doing those type of communications and programs and making those stories interesting. So I did kind of like a mockumentary video series on how to protect information and to show kind of the fallout of a security breach similar to what happened at Sony. And over time, it's just, it kind of evolved and I I started my own business. I did independent consulting on just comms, change management, awareness and training. I was just really good at being able to get a very dull topic and shine it up and make it somewhat interesting and palatable for employees so that it wasn't too technical, so that it wasn't too scary. Sometimes you can also, you know, have an approach where it comes to that type of training to where it's like, I can't do anything about it. You know, you see documentaries all the time on climate change and it just feels like you're, you know, helpless. But Mm -hmm. I really am one who try to hone in on any communications that I do with key takeaways so that you can walk away with like a one, two, three step of what to do. I think that's super dope that you you took something and then you capitalize on a moment and then you really use that as a platform to just kind of move into this. Now, the natural question, do you still work in your current role or maybe just in, in general? Do you still work specifically with the information security or? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So part of our comm strategy is to have a secure culture. So when you think of everything, you know, all of the data that we handle, things that come in, you know, that that we have with AWS and different partnerships, it's all about data. And so it's in our comm strategy to keep information security, content security top of mind. I think the one separation that I have now is I more so focus on content security. I think of... Mm how to protect rings of power. That was one of my first projects when I started. And that's what I was actually 
hired to do in 2019. Yeah. I love that show, by the way. Yeah, was to do content security for Rings of Power and to help all of those employees that had access to data, also crew and and talent to understand how this was like the crown jewels of Amazon Studios and how to properly protect their information and data. Does that mean like trying to avoid leaks or also just like how people use the, the content itself, like the, the raw files? Yeah, it's both. It's everything because, you know, even handling files, you know, if you don't save it correctly or if you, you know, use something that's not a non-approved tool, it can get leaked to the public. So yeah. it's all related. I feel like somehow it always gets leaked to the public though, right? Yeah. You always <laughs> see these things. And I, I wonder if, if you have any insight on this, like, I've always thought like, it's someone's job to leak things. To leak one good thing, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's their job. That's all we, we pay them to just do that. Yeah. That's just my conspiracy theory, but maybe it's coming. It may, I don't know. It may be true. I've always wanted to have a campaign where I follow like the super fans, the people who mm-hmm. really are fanatical about certain series. You know, so Rings of Power is a really good example. And, you know, there's a lot of super fans that will follow every detail of the show. They want to find the shoot locations. They want to find, you know, which characters, what actors are coming up. And so following those people and finding out how they get the information, I think would be a kind of a cool story and like training approach. Yeah. A part of the storytelling and communications, you know, drafting communications around, you know, drumming up excitement for these things means really understanding the intimate details of these projects as well. So do you get to be on set for some of these things? You met, meet the actors, you meet all these oh. people. Are you? Is that a part of your job too? In 2020, when Rings of Power started, I was actually scheduled to go to New Zealand and spend time there on set just to get, it's really good to, you know, see the sets, get an understanding of like lay of the land. If we're doing, you know, communications, posters, signage and things like that, like where that's all going. But that was also like the day, <laughs> doomsday <laughs> when COVID yeah. broke out. I didn't get a chance to to get on the Rings of Power set, but at Warner Brothers, it was a lot easier with things kind of just being, you know, in person and easily available. That's really exciting. I think that's the exciting component of it for sure. But And it totally makes sense, right? I think a lot of things changed when 2020 hit. I want to go back for a second because you mentioned the information security component and that kind of led into your work that you do now with, with comms and, and storytelling. But I, I do recall you actually dabbling in graphic design and visual design as well, right? Yeah, that's like, that's my first love. I actually, I I really do love to do graphic design. That's where I first started and, you know, was able to learn more about communications and kind of tie the two together. I'm a total geek about typography, you know, and fonts. I used to have, I don't know, 50,000 fonts on my computer back in the day, which was like the holy grail for a designer. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't really do design work as much anymore. I, I wasn't as good as like the shortcuts of like Adobe Creative Suite and all of that. Mm-hmm. So it would take me a really long time. It would really be a labor of love. So if I created, if anyone hears my name and I ever created a anything for you, a flyer, <laughs> <laughs> website, it, that was a labor of love. It took just, me many, yeah, many just hours. Know there was a lot of work. <laughs> it was a lot of work that went into that. There was a lot of work. Yeah. No, no, no. That, that, that's, that's the, I like that, that, that little Easter egg. Do you still work on like passion projects around that at all? I do here and there. And especially because I do own this communications like team or remit, 
I can sometimes dabble in that. So I, I don't know. I probably drive my own team crazy a little bit because I will set up a prototype and say, hey, like, this is what I want it to look like. And then I'll hand it over to the wonderful, talented designer on my team, Lauren. She's amazing. I can hand it over to her to perfect it. Mm -hmm. But I will kind of like sketch out what I want or, you know, create a little something. I just can't seem to get away from it. It's something that I do truly love. No, yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay, so you, we're talking about, we're talking about passions. We're talking about excite, creating it exciting and drumming up excitement for everyone else. What excites you about the work that you're doing or maybe like the the work that's coming up if we can talk about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can talk about it a little bit. I'm super excited just about innovation, you know, just where things are going. And again, like I feel with Amazon, you know, it's being at the ground floor of something that's super amazing. You know, it's what I've always, you know, termed the a baby studio and it's, it's small and it's a small community and, and it's growing rapidly and it has grown rapidly since I've started. And just, so just to be able to see something and understand that you're on the ground floor of something that's brand new, that part is super exciting. I think the innovation and technology behind the studio is also super exciting. We have a really strong tech team that's working on amazing things. We have a studio 126 where we do a lot of just incubation time of allowing creatives to come in, test out new technologies and understand what Amazon Studios has to offer if you bring your production there. Same with Stage 15, just to see that to to be an empty soundstage. And now it's the largest virtual production volume wall in the country. It's just super exciting to see. So those are some of the things that really ignite a fire, you know, and just really get me excited about, you know, being at a brand new studio. Yeah, it looks like there's a lot of green space to play with kind of shifting over. But when you think about the space that you're in now working with Amazon and Amazon Studios, what part of that is exciting for you versus some of the work that you did at, you know, other big studios? I think what's super exciting for me personally that I haven't been able to do in the past because I had my own company and I was kind of running my own show independently is to build a team. Yeah. I really like that I have, you know, a wonderful, amazing, sorry guys, but it's an all-girl team. <laughs> and <laughs> Okay. And we, you know, I just feel like, I don't know, I just feel like we kick ass, you know, and it's, we, we get a lot of, we have our challenges as far as, hey, you know, what's that team over there and what are they up to today? But I really feel like it's something that I take pride in. It's a joy for me. It's a joy to come to work and know that I can help women mm-hmm. in their careers and help them to develop. That's something that I just, I haven't been able to do in the past as much because I've been so focused on having my own thing and just, you know, running the show. And now I, I'm able to kind of take a step back and invest into others. And that part is exciting for me. That's super dope. I mean, the, that's actually one of the things that I, w- I wanted to also bring up. So it's it's interesting that you, you mentioned that, that your team currently is, you know, is just all women. Because I was going to ask like how much being in your role of leading all comms and being, you know, the owner of all of these things when it comes to, you know, creative storytelling and how we tell that story externally, internally. I was wondering how diverse is that space in general when you think about your peers and how does that impact the work that you do and just kind of like your mental space being in this, you know, in this work? Yeah, I think, you know, if you really start to look more so in the tech industry, of course, we all know that it's, you know, very male dominated. And what I really love about my role kind of being this mixed role of internal communications and technology communications 
is that when you look at comms, it's typically more women in those roles. And I'm able to bring them over and expose them to the tech side. And then slowly I can see, you know, how those careers, those, you know, individuals can flourish more so into the tech space, which is, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, the wave of the future. We have so many different things that are, you know, so many different opportunities. And I feel like from a woman's perspective, when you hear tech, you get immediately kind of intimidated and think like, oh, I have to be a coder. And there's all these coding programs and there's all of these, you know, different languages. Now we have AI and there's just so many different intimidating terminologies where it comes to to tech. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the mix of what we have right now is a good opportunity for for women to discover roles in tech that they may not have ever thought about before. Yeah. And it sounds like that's something that's also just really important to you to to really open those doors for for other people. I think I think that that's something that's that's interesting for for me as well as I look at where I want to go in my career. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners as well is like, how do you continue to grow specifically as a person of color where you know that there's already a lot in the tech space in corporate America? There's already a lot of barriers for entry and honestly barriers for existence, which I think we don't talk about as much. Mm. A lot of people talk about barriers for entry and we forget that it's also just kind of hard to stay here. Yeah. Right. Because if it was hard to get in the door, yeah, then it's very easy for people to just consistently try to find the thing to get you back out of the door. Yeah, And not to be too negative, but like, how do you work through building that space for, you know, this lifting as you climb mentality that you're talking about? Yeah. How do you foster and maintain that space without being discouraged? It's challenging. It's a really good question. And it, and it is a challenge. I would say one thing that I've been thinking about lately and talking to friends about and colleagues, I think it's really important to have something else, Mm. right? And that doesn't always mean like a complete side hustle or business, but I feel like, and this is how I stay sane, you have to have something else that just motivates you that you love. For a long time in my career, I only loved my career. (laughs) Like that's that's the only thing that matters. How, you know, if, if I finished a project, if I, you know, did a cool event, if I mentioned in a, in a press release or, you know, something to that effect. And it's like, now I've really been just trying to focus on like, what else makes me happy? Mm. And so I feel like sometimes we get so caught in our careers. You look up one day and it's like, where did all the years go? Yeah. Where did all that time go? And where you're trying to fight for that position and stay in that position, it's like, you know, kind of focus. I feel like the people who focus, if you really look around, the people who focus on the external and like have something else that they absolutely love, if it's if it's biking, hiking, climbing, whatever, or if it's, you know, a side hustle or business, those are the people who are usually vibrating higher and a mm-hmm. bit happier at work because it yeah. doesn't matter as much, you know. <laughs> That, that's an interesting. That's an interesting way to put it. It doesn't. It doesn't matter as much. So they it can, doesn't. you know, they can, but it makes sense to me. Like when you said it, it's funny naturally, right? It's kind of funny, and you have to be able to laugh at these things. But it also makes a hundred percent sense. I, I remember before I started to really lean into, you know, what makes Justin happy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can't just be this. I remember talking to a good friend that asked me that question. They said. Think about all of the roles that you play. You're an employee to your employer. Mm-hmm. You're a father to your son. You're, you know, a partner to whoever your your partner is. 
your uh, manager to whoever you're managing in, friends to your friend. Who are you to yourself at the end of all of that? Mm. And I think that that's really kind of what you're getting at too, is like, who are you to yourself? Yeah. Because if your entire identity is focused around all of the things that you represent to other people, then you're constantly forgetting to pour into yourself, yeah. which is where that burnout comes from. Yep. It's like nothing's pouring into you. You're not even pouring into you. And I mean, that, I, don't, I don't know if that's where you were going, but like- That's exactly, that's a great way to put it is who are you to yourself? Yeah. And so I think that's, that's my advice to anyone who's in corporate America, who's trying to make it. It's, you know, at, at the end of the day and to show up as your authentic self, you have to treat yourself well. Yeah. Be kind to yourself, right? Be kind to yourself. And also like, don't take your job too serious. We're not saving lives here. That's another piece of advice. A friend of mine, she is a neurosurgeon. So Ooh. this was years ago, right? So yeah. um, I remember we were all like, it was a group of us we were, we were just kind of hanging out, talking and I'm like, I'm so stressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I'm so oh stressed. God, this yeah. week has been so hard on me. And then she's like, really? <laughs> Because you're not saving lives here. And right. I know that she wasn't She wasn't trying to put me down. She was like yeah. literally just adding perspective. Like she's literally saving lives and she's, or, and some, and some of them she can't save. Right. Yeah. And, and there are people that are literally doing this and not that I'm big on comparative suffering because I'm not, yeah. but I think that there is a, a such thing as understanding the, you know, the perspective and perspective taking is really important in developing a more well-rounded view of yourself and the world. So like, that's something that I always, even now it sticks with me. So whenever yes. someone is like super stressed in the office or just, <laughs> you know, on my team, whatever, I'm, I go, Hey, we're not saving yeah. lives here. Yeah. We're not saving lives here. We have no nuclear codes. We Nothing. You know, it's, Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like we're changing lives. We're not saving them though. Yeah. So that's just perspective. But I, I think that that's really valuable. When you think of some of the work that you do and if you could go back and give yourself advice on different things, aside from that one, because I think that that's a really good gem, the one that you just left. But if you could go back and say, younger Jessica or younger Jessica by different names that are listening to this right now, <laughs> what are some things that you would tell that version of you to help the version of you that exists right now? That's a good question. I think I would tell my younger self to just not to take myself so seriously, you know, to yeah. kind of just enjoy the time, enjoy the learnings because there's so much that you learn earlier in your career, nuggets that come up now, you know, 20 years later in the interview. Just as you were talking, I was thinking about the manager that hired me at Warner Brothers. And he's like, you know, he didn't say we're not saving lives. He said, the worst thing that could happen is someone can miss their boat payment, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, those are gems, like things that, you know, I just, you know, I would just say, slow down and just take it in. Yeah. You know, I think we all just are rushing so much. And, and, and I see that a lot, you know, with, you know, folks who are a bit more junior, just wanting to do so much and prove so much. And it's just like, I understand, you know, and I get it wanting to be there, but just to, I guess, pace yourself because sometimes I, I feel like I've hit my head the most is when I'm rushing and running yeah. and trying to get to something versus just sitting down and saying, you know, what does the universe have for me? What does God have for me? Yeah. How much, and we're getting into the weeds here a little bit, but like how much of that pressure that, you know, we feel 
whether it's someone that's, you know, younger in their career or just in general, because I feel it sometimes too. Like, and I have to remind myself, like, that's why I have that mantra of like, we're not saving lives. Mm -hmm. But how much of that is completely within our control of just saying, you know, hey, slow down, you know, slow your pace down versus, and I'm going to bring it back to your expertise of communication, right? How much of that is, you know, how we communicate that to the people that are asking things of us? whether it's leadership, whether it's stakeholders, how do we bring them into that conversation? Imagine me just saying, you know what? I'm not saving lives here. I have other passions. Mm, I'm going to prioritize my own stress. And then for the other person, the other stakeholders, it can seem like I'm just being lazy or I'm just, I don't care. or I'm apathetic. How do we balance those equations? You know, I, I got a good piece of advice on this recently and I'm, Gen X, right? So I think it's really important for young people to have mentors who are senior. Mm. But I think it's really important as well for seniors to have mentors who are younger. So a reverse Ah. mentor. Okay. So to be able to understand like, you know, millennials and just, you know, Gen Y, just all of the kind of, you know, people who are coming into the workforce or, or kind of more junior in their career, have a mentor, like take someone who's very junior to you out to lunch, you know, or build a relationship to gain that perspective. Because I think what you're saying is right. It, there is that piece of like, I understand that, you know, (laughs) you're in tune with your mental health and want to deprioritize the things that I may have as a priority as a manager. So there's a balance in that. But I think some of that dance as well is to, is for some of the more tenured people to also understand the perspective of the younger generations. Yeah. So everyone should have a mentor and they should come from different spaces. Yeah. You should have a reverse mentor, understanding, you know, generations that are after you or younger than you. Yeah. I think that's really important because for me, I can be really dismissive. I feel like with Gen X, you know, we're the water hose kids. We were locked outside the house, you know, we, (laughs) (laughs) I say it all the time. Like there weren't a lot of safe spaces for kids for kids my age when, when I was growing up. So I, I sometimes bulldoze over, you know, anyone who's like talking about, I used to, I I try not to do it anymore. And I actually have learned a lot from my daughter, but you know, she's like, you're not in tune to mental health. And Mm. if I say the word anxiety, you laugh. That's the old Jessica. I I am a bit more sensitive to that now. And I, and I have, I've had to be with having a team. Yeah. And I just feel like with my generation, like we were, we were just tough as nails. Like we were tough. Yeah. And even when I tell people, oh, people ask me, where did you grow up? I'm like, oh, I grew up in Pasadena. And they're like, oh, it's so great. And I'm like, is it? <laughs> What's yeah. it? I was locked up the house with a water hose. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Like I, I was, I was, I brought this up the other day that like kids of this generation will probably never understand the fear that you have in your heart. When, and let's see, maybe you experienced this too because of what you just said, but the fear that you have in your heart when you see the streetlights cutting off, yeah. <laughs> but you're too far away from your house. Yeah, to get there in time. <laughs> to get there in time. <laughs> you get on your okay. bike, carry yeah, everything, trying to get back to the house. But yeah, that's, that, that's just, that's something. But no, that, thanks, for, thanks for that, Jim. And, and thanks, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to just thank you again for joining us here on, the, on this show. Of course. This is like really exciting to just kind of learn more about your space and also the wealth of gems that you dropped here when it comes to just like working on your career and also that 
reverse mentor thing, right? The idea, I think that one thing that's really cool about that, and this is my probably, I have a bunch of key takeaways, but the one thing that I really take away from this is that idea of we look at growth and development in this linear way of as we get older, then we're replaced by a younger generation. But I think that when you think about it, the way you just mentioned of having these mentors, reverse mentors from different generations, from different spaces, it kind of creates this circular nature of growth where it's not an, a natural progression where people just have to leave when, you know, you just age out or, or you just, you've been here for too long because you can constantly add value in different ways and how that shows up manifests differently, but it's still just as valuable to the greater puzzle. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's probably one of the best things. But the, yeah, thank you. I wanted to thank you again. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. I'm honored to be on the show. Like I said, you've, you've had some really cool guests. So I'm just happy to be amongst the crowd. <laughs> it's really cool. Thank you so much, Justin. Justin.